The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. 
And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Right. Well, that should be a familiar passage to all of us, and um, we will mainly be dwelling on the, the first part of that, but uh, I'll look at that and then on to the consequences of that. Let me pray as we go on. Father, we thank you for your word uh, that you have given us um, some insight into your character, into your love, into um, how you would like us to live. And we pray that we can learn from this and go, grow and change. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. So, uh, well, let me stop sharing this for a minute. Uh, one day, uh, there were three men leaving an office. They were going on their lunch break, and they somehow uh, stumbled and upset uh, this genie. And this genie appeared and said, thank you for freeing us, master. Uh, I can offer to each one of you a wish. And so the first one immediately said, yeah, looked down at its work clothes, thought about his work and thought, I wish I was lying on a beach in Bali with a drink in my hand. Isn't that what we all wish right now? Um, getting out of lockdown and into Bali with a, uh, on the beach. And he was there. He was sitting on the beach, sun out, sea lapping against the beach with a nice drink in his hand. The second, second man, seeing the first just disappear, jumped in and said, I wish I was skiing on my favorite slope in the Alps. And all of a sudden he was there. The, the final man who happened to be the boss of the first two said, I want those two back at their desks by the end of lunchtime. Now, that's a silly story. And I can see that you're all rolling in laughter because online teaching i'm so used to these blank screens and just telling jokes to myself but um i wonder whether you've ever you've ever thought about what would you would do with just one wish if you're anything like me you probably have um and uh, i had a quick look online this week um and i was surprised to see uh, well, there were quite a few who asked for kind of, uh, there was a lot of people who asked for kind of uh, a lot of wealth, a lot of money. Uh, some asked for power or rich, you know, kind of uh, fame. Uh, but many people, more than half, asked for different things, uh, good things. Well, peace. Some of them asked for love. Uh, uh, another guy asked for forgiveness. Everyone should learn to forgive. Um, and he, he believed that there would be peace that way. Others asked for equality, and these are all very good things. But I wonder what you would ask. Now, we see from this passage, let's go back to this passage. Um, we see from this passage that Solomon, uh, he doesn't ask for wisdom per se, he asks, he does not ask for wealth or a long life. Those, now those are seen to be 
the great blessings of God in those days. Uh, we see it throughout the whole of the Old Testament, uh, but we also see it into Jesus' time. We've been studying the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we see how they, they often see wealth and prosperity and a long life as being, uh, being the mark of a man blessed by God. Um, often, you know, we see this kind of how long they live, kind of comparing them to the, the forefathers, uh, their wealth, and also how many children they have, which is a, a form of wealth. Uh, so more children, the, the wealthier you are. And they would probably kind of uh, look down on me. I was, I was still single, no children. Therefore, kind of, well, uh, God obviously hasn't blessed him. Um, now, but instead of asking for those things, Solomon, are, Solomon asks for an understanding mind. So if we jump down to verse 9, we see that he asks for an understanding mind. Uh, verse 9, to govern your people and discern, uh, good, uh, discern good and evil. It seems like a, a bit of a strange request. Um, I remember at one point in my life, uh, I... I definitely remember distinctly realizing that in my arrogance, I had thought that God made me the way I am. And so he could not take away my intelligence. That was a, a very young and foolish, naive thing. Uh, and God then proceeded to show me that he was, it was very much something that God could take away uh, or at least make my intelligence count for nothing. He makes a stumbling block for the wise and a fool of the intelligence. Uh, and something that I don't often advertise because I'm not sure whether it'll breed confidence in, in the parents of my students. I actually repeated a school year. Uh, if you know the British system, I actually repeated year eight. Uh, that was partly also because I was old for the year, but uh, partly because I failed to get the grades that I should have done. Um, yeah, it's something that always surprises my students, especially because they know that I'm often entrusted now to teach some of the top mathematicians. And uh, some of them know that I went to one of the top universities in the world. And, you know, um, so I think hopefully that's a bit more reassurance to those of you who I, I will teach children to. Um, uh, but yes, God is very much in charge of uh, in, in control of these things. And woe betide us if we forget them. Um, now, this may sound strange, but wisdom is not the wisest thing that, uh, that Solomon could have asked for. And this is something that we'll look at later. Um, it is a rare thing that God says he's pleased with something, some, someone. And so this comes... Uh, brings me to my first point, and let's uh, share this. Um, so this brings my, me to my first point. Solomon's attitude pleased God. And that is important. That is something that where we need to really sit up and notice, because it is rare that you know, uh, as humans, because we are weak and we fail time and time again, we do, uh, we do uh, often ignore God's commandments. We often willfully disobey him, especially as Christians, because we know his commandments. 
And since he is our father, king, and creator, it is well worth noting when he is pleased. Uh, and so I want to first have a look at this. So firstly, you can see here I've written, um, whether if I present it, we're like, no, I probably won't be able to get to the other screen. I'm going to leave that unpresented for now, the moment. And that's why I've got different, you put the same thing on lots of different slides. Um, but uh, we see that firstly, Solomon asked for humility. So if we come back to here, look at verse six. Solomon says, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, uh, and in upright of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and he has given him uh, a son to sit on his throne this day. Again, that idea of wealth and the son to carry on your, your heritage, the line. Now, that's always a good start. Those of us who have learned how to pray as little children were often taught the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. Um, and that is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, and I, I still try and use that model today, um, although I, it's not something I, I hold as a kind of, that's a must, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but we start, and this is a good way to start, we start with adoration, praise of God. And we only ask for things, that supplication, at the end. So we start with adoration, we remember God's greatness and at the beginning of our prayer, and that helps us to put our request in context. We see that this mixes Solomon's words uh, uh, with thanksgiving. So he is thankful for God being there for David and, um, and blessing David and putting him on the throne as David's son. And as we try, and as I always try to hold to that order of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, I always struggle to keep those two things separate, the adoration and the thanksgiving. They, they naturally flow into one another. Um, God, who is the almighty creator, the, uh, God, maker of all things, we thank you for creating us and everything that sustains us and gives us joy. So you, do you see that thanksgiving and adoration flow into one another. So that's why I, I said I don't necessarily keep to adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication, more like ATCS. I'm not sure whether that stands for some terrible acronym that I'm probably um, shouldn't be uh, advertising, but uh, I don't know, ATCS. Adoration, thanksgiving, confession, and supplication. When we realize who we are praying to, it puts us in our place, doesn't it? Who are we to be asking anything from God who has already given us so much? And we see this in Solomon's attitude of humility. In verse uh, seven, and now, O God, you have made your servant king in the place in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. 
I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So we see this humility. Um, and who doesn't like somebody who's humble, somebody who kind of uh, is honest in that sense? I've talked so many times in my sermons about this great pride of sin. Every sin, I believe, has its root in pride, especially as Christians, thinking that we know better than God's law. Isn't that the first thing we are doing? If we know that we are sinning, we think that we are better than God's law, that we can get away with it. That is our pride. So anyone who has been a Christian for a good amount of, no, uh, amount of time knows that it is only when we humble ourselves that we learn. And only when we learn do we grow. And that can be a painful process. And I've talked about that in my past uh, many times um, about uh, as an arrogant young man and continuing to, to be full of pride, God, uh, sometimes he, he breaks us, and he bre uh, breaks us and he remakes us. If you've ever seen uh, a potter giving, uh, if you've ever seen a potter with a clay, see, that's the uh, image that the Bible presents to us. Romans 9 says, uh, is uh, presenting us as the clay and God as the potter. If you've ever watched a potter, you see the potter giving the clay a good pounding. And sometimes the Christian life can feel like that, can't it? Uh, the, he is pounding or she is pounding the clay to soften it, but also to kind of mix up the, the ingredients in there, but also to, to, to pull out the air bubbles that are in it. I'm not advertising the Christian life very well, though, am I? Uh, the, Christian, the life of a Christian is one of pain and suffering, of being broken down, but also one of being built up, one of having and finding peace and joy. And I think that is what everybody ultimately is looking for. You, you, you see these people going on these retreats to try and find peace you see people chasing happiness believing that they are going to find joy through that but the life of a christian is where we are suffer and have pain to be broken down and then built up so that we can experience true peace and joy found in jesus the second thing we learn from Solomon's attitude is his wish to serve God. So if we look back again at verse nine, it says, give your servant. That's a good start. Therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. So he, he's not even saying govern my people because he is king now. And kings in those days had ultimate say. You see the, the story of the kings to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to, to govern your great people? You see, this, this humility leads into this service. 
how can I serve you, God, if I don't have wisdom? So um, you see, God made us to serve under him, to rule the wor uh, world, to rule the earth under him. In Romans 6, 18, we, I, I won't flash that out, but uh, Romans 6, 18, it says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It talks about us as slaves to righteousness, because this is who we are serving now. We are serving righteousness, and that is right and proper. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify your God in your uh, glorified God in your body. So we see that we are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. And if we understand the death of Jesus, understand it more and more as we grow as Christians, then we understand that we have been brought, bought at a price, that Jesus died for us. And so we have no choice but to devote our lives to God. It is when we think that our bodies and our lives are our own that we start to resent God's influence, isn't it? And again, this is where pride creeps in. So we need to remember that when we ask God, we must do so in humility and must be asking for serving him. This is where most people, uh, people misunderstand the verse, John 14, 14, which says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So we studied John a few years ago, almost th about three years ago now. Um, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And this is so often misunderstood. People misinterpret this to mean that if you ask God anything like a great Santa in the sky, he is going, he is going to provide it. What are they missing can you see it? It's right there. Ask me anything in my name. That in my name means in his service. Again, going back to this idea of the prayer, we should not be asking anything without firstly understanding who we are asking it to and our relationship there to him. If we acknowledge that we are coming to God, who is the creator God, who knows all things, we should know that he has a plan already and he has put all things in place for his glory. Then we're going to be different about the way we ask for things and pray. Now, we are encouraged to pray. We know that God is a God who responds to prayer. And he responds powerfully. We know that he is in control and always has been. And he does answer prayer. But if he doesn't ask, answer our specific prayer, when I, I pray for that uh, fancy car or that he fixes my current car or that I get a windfall in the lottery, if he doesn't answer those prayers, then we know that he has a greater plan for us in his glory. 
Now, um, it, the Bible does encourage us to seek wisdom, like Solomon, seeking wisdom for God's service. In James 1.5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So the Bible says that we, he will give us wisdom. The second thing I want to look at in this passage, let's have a look at this, is God's giving. So I promise that these next two points are, are a little bit shorter than the first point. The first question is, did God deserve, sorry, did Solomon deserve God's gift? What had he done to deserve God's gifts? Now let's look at back at the passage. Right at the start, we see Solomon made a marriage alliance with the Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh king of e Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. So already we see that Solomon is starting along this line of setting up marriages that he really shouldn't have. We know that the Bible gives strict uh, instructions not to marry and mix with uh, uh, non, with the Gentiles, with heathens. We see later that uh, how little God thinks of sacrifices that have no reverence behind them. So uh, while well, as he's pleased with this sacrifice or he's pleased with Solomon, we know that it's not so much about the sacrifice. Solomon is uh, undeserving. And so we see that God's love is demonstrated. Uh, love for his servants is demonstrated here. And his people, uh, he's once again giving this gift freely. So you see, Solomon has been given so much in his life. He is set up as uh, the son of David. David has conquered all of the enemies around. And so that isn't a problem. And we also see here that God gives overwhelmingly. Now, I know that some of us have kids. Um, I don't have kids, but I have a niece and two nephews, and I have five God kids. I don't know how I've suddenly got five God kids. Um, I did warn my, my friends that I would be over here for a, a few years, uh, and so I may not be around, but I want to go back to the UK primarily because I want to be around for when they're teenagers. I, I know teenagers. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the coolest, uh, going to be the coolest godfather, but I want to be around for them. Uh, but because I'm not around, I make sure that I, I remember at least uh, while the Christmases, uh, some of them haven't asked that I don't remember their birthdays, but um, Christmases. Uh, and I know that some, some of my god sons love Star Wars Lego sets. Now, those of you who have kids or those of you who are kind of uncles and aunts and, and have god, uh, god kids know that when... When you're buying gifts, you don't just, I mean, you don't just go for the, the cheapest one possible, do you? No, I want to get the massive set. I want to be the uncle who, who got them the massive set. 
the delight, the delight in their eyes is worth it when if I come through the door with that massive Star Wars Lego set. And this we see in God. God gives overwhelmingly. He is pleased with Solomon and his attitude. And God gives overwhelmingly. This is uh, goes to verse 12. Behold, I uh, now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you before, uh, none, none like uh, you has been before you and none like you shall arise after. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. So we see that God Despite Solomon being undeserving, and we know as we continue through reading Solomon, uh, this account of Solomon, that Solomon does things which mean that he is undeserving. God demonstrates his love for his servant and his people by giving freely and giving overwhelmingly. So... uh, This last point, I'm going to take these two together because one leads into another. And this is looking at the rest of, um, and I I know I'm probably stepping on uh, Craig's toes here for uh, chapters four four and five, um, but hopefully this is not going to come as too much of a surprise and and the story of Solomon is uh, is, um, familiar to you. Luke Chapter 11, verse 31. This is something we've studied recently uh, in the Bible studies. The queen of the south, that is the queen of Sheba, uh, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Uh, For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And that is... Jesus talking about the Queen of Sheba judging that generation, but also that he himself is greater than Solomon. And so we see the wisdom of Solomon in this next familiar story in in 1 Kings. But again, the familiarity is always a danger. So we have to be critical about these things. We have to try and uh, approach this from fresh eyes. So who is the judge here? This judge is Solomon, none other than the king himself. And who is he judging? Two prostitutes. Isn't that amazing? Two people who most kings... Would, desire, would deem completely unworthy to even be in their presence. Why is he judging two prostitutes? And isn't this familiar to those of us who know the Gospels? And what is he judging? It's a, a household squabble. Now, I'm not disputing how terrible this situation is. Our heart goes out to the mother whose son died. And it seems like a horrendous thing that this mother 
who smothered her own baby claims the baby or seems to maybe to have swapped the, the baby with another mother's baby. That's a horrible and terrible thing. But we can sometimes understand it just in that distress of what might have caused that. But it's a, it's a horrible situation. Now we have to decide what's going on here. But at the end of the day, this is not something that couldn't have been sorted out by a local judge. You see, it's not a threat to the nation. It's not a huge thing. These are not members of the high-ranking high officials who could kick up a massive fuss. These are not people who would go above a judge and claim, kind of uh, ask, uh, appeal to the king and say, king, you need to sort this out, not just some minor judge who is beneath me. Why is this judgment coming before Solomon? And this is something that's a principle that is fairly kind of unique at this time to the people of God. These are God's people. The king of Israel was supposed to be a servant of the people. The servant of all God's people, not just the high ranking members, not just the rich and the wealthy and the noblemen. And there is not a hint of arrogance or dismissiveness here. And whilst Solomon's first rule ruse, and we can see that this is a false play, that he was never intending to kill the child, his first ruse may sound quite harsh. We can see that he cares for this child and that this child goes to the correct mother. And we see here that the king's justice is for all his people. And aren't we thankful of that? No matter how high or low we are, how much we have sinned, God's justice is for all his people. And God's mercy is for all his people. I should have put that on the PowerPoint. God's mercy is for all his people. And if you haven't got it already, who does this remind you of? Well, Jesus came to suffer and die. Not just for kings and rulers or for the wealthy and powerful, but for beggars and thieves and prostitutes. He came to serve everyone. And he spent his time, as we've seen in the Gospels, with lepers and tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. So this is looking forward to that day when the great king who comes, Jesus, the one who is greater than Solomon, not in wealth, not in earthly power, but in eternal power, the one who has the right to judge us and will judge us comes and he spends his time with prostitutes. But as I said, we will see in and we do know about Solomon's story. And this is why I've said as my last point, this is a note to finish on. Wisdom is not enough. And that, that is the warning to us not to keep us from foolishness not to keep us from sin. Wisdom is not enough to keep us from foolishness and sin. 
we do see that Solomon, having so many wives, having uh, allowed the worship of false gods to flourish, we see that he has wisdom and yet he chooses to ignore that. It's not that he, he doesn't know that these things is, are wrong. And those of us who are Christians know this, know this feeling. We know something is wrong. And yet we kind of choose to push it to one side and we continue to sin. And we have the spirit of God indwelling us in us. And yet we still sin and we still ignore it. So asking for God for wisdom isn't enough. Yes, we're encouraged to ask for wisdom. And yes, we're given wisdom. With the spirit in us, we are given wisdom. And what does this mean? This is going back to this point. Solomon foreshadows Jesus because that means that we are going to need Jesus. We are going to need a judge who is both just and merciful we need jesus to die for us we need his forgiveness so when we pray yes we should ask for wisdom as solomon did to know good from bad but going back to my uh my point um my prayer points Adoration, thanksgiving, confession. We need to debase ourselves before the creator God who has given us all things. And yet when we continue to sin against him, continue to disobey him, continue to, to rebel him against him, to continue to be selfish, we need to ask for forgiveness, confess our sins, Repent of our sins. And we need to ask, and this is supplication, for obedience and the love of God that leads to obedience. So let me pray as we close. Um, Father, you are the creator God. You have given us all things. You have given us so much joy and peace and comfort. You have um, provided us so much, so many things in our lives, our relationships, our friends, our family, Lord. Food on our tables and homes to live in. And you still continue to Forgive us when we rebel against you, when we continue to live our lives ignoring you, continue to live our lives as if you were not the king. And so, so Lord, we thank you for your son and what he's done, for the forgiveness that he's offered, offers, and for dying in our place. And so, Lord, we ask for wisdom. We ask for forgiveness of sins. We ask for obedience. We ask for a heart that loves you so that obedience will come naturally. Lord, we pray that we can be a witness and a servant to you.
give us the tools, not, we, not so that we can boast, not so that we can uh, feel good about ourselves or to show off. Lord, we pray for the tools to witness to others. In Jesus' name, amen.